Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Oh my goodness, I love being with Awaken. This is, uh, this is like family to me. Uh, love you guys. You know, Jurgen and Leanne have been great supporters of Patriot Academy and, and uh, just the opportunities to come here. Um, you know, the Sorensons who started the Remnant Group here. I mean, they're doing exactly what I'm going to talk about tonight with Salt and Light. And they've been a wonderful part of our Patriot Academy family. And I'm so glad they introduced me to Jurgen and Leanne all those years ago. So thank you all so much for uh, giving me a chance to share with you tonight. I'm going to be pretty blunt with you. It's very, very likely that I will step on your toes. And when that happens, I want to apologize up front because my intent was to stomp on them. I don't care if I offend you. Uh, the gospel is offensive. All right? It convicts us. If the gospel's not convicting us, we're not paying close enough attention. All right? So I'm going to start off with what Patrick Henry said in his Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech. He said, according to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. Only in this way can we find the truth. And should I hold back my opinions out of fear of giving offense, I'll offend the great creator of the universe. I would much rather offend you than God, all right? So I'm going to be blunt about where we are as a nation. I'm going to be blunt about where we are in our generations. The failure of the American people to pass the torch to the next generation is not the first time in history that it happened. In fact, if you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 78, that's where we're going to start tonight when a very, very similar thing happened to the children of Israel. Let's pray over the word of God before we read it. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction manual of life. Thank you for the truth that is right there for us. God, forgive us for ignoring those truths, Lord, for neglecting those truths. God, for sometimes just playing church and not actually being salt and light. God, I just ask that you would convict us tonight, Lord. I pray that we would be thankful, have hearts of gratitude, be filled with the joy of our salvation, and then go out there and preach the full gospel, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that you commanded us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's turn to Psalm 78. Here we go. I'm gonna, this is going to take a minute, so stay with me. We're going to go through several verses here, and then we'll come back and break it down. Listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb. I'll let you in on sweet old truths, stories we heard from our fathers, counsel we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation, God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things he has done. He planted a witness in Jacob, said his word firmly in Israel, then commanded our parents to teach it to their children so that the next generation would know and all the generations to come. Know the truth and tell the story so their children can trust in God, never forget the works of God, but keep his commands to the letter. Heaven forbid they should be like their parents, bullheaded and bad, a fickle and faithless bunch who never stayed true to God's word. I'm sorry, never stayed true to God. The Ephraimites, armed to the teeth, ran off when the battle began. They had what they needed. They had the tools at their fingertips. But they tripped over their skinny jeans and ran off <laughs> when the battle began. <laughs> they were... They were <laughs> I just can't help it. I just can't help it. Okay. 
They were cowards to God's covenant, refused to walk by his word. They forgot what he had done. Now think about this. They saw the miracles with their own eyes. They watched this stuff happen, and yet they did not teach it to their kids so that they would remember God's providence. Marvels he had done right before their eyes. He performed miracles in plain sight of their parents in Egypt, out on the fields of Zoan. He split the sea, and they walked right through it. He piled the waters to the right and the left. He led them by day with a cloud, led them all the night with a fiery torch. Split rocks in the wilderness, gave them all they could drink from underground springs. He made creeks flow out from sheer rock and water pour out like a river. All they did was sin even more, rebel in the desert against the high God. So here's the part that I want to key in on. America was founded by, believe it or not, and I've been studying the founding fathers for about 30 years. I just I want to shock you tonight with this. But the founding fathers of America were human. Yeah, believe it or not, they sinned. In fact, they did evil things, just like you and just like me. So what am I saying? I'm saying God used flawed men and women to put in place a formula that would then produce the greatest, most powerful, most free, most prosperous, most benevolent nation in the history of the world. So despite their flaws and sins, we could spend all night talking about that, but despite that, they put together a document in the summer of 1776 that would lead to the greatest nation in the history of the world. And they built it upon a biblical foundation. We'll get to that in a little bit, even the the ties to the Constitution and the things in our, our system of freedom in America that are biblically based. And because we for about 150 years, taught a providential view of history in America, we were always doing exactly what Psalm 78 is talking about, teaching them, reminding them what God had done. I mean, I could give you quote after quote of the founders that even said at the Constitutional Convention, they saw the hand of God bringing things together and allowing things to happen like they did throughout the revolution. Uh, uh, Ben Franklin talks about all the miracles that happened in the revolution, how the hand of providence was involved. There was no way they should have ever defeated the British. So we used to teach that, and what that did was it made each generation of Americans respect the author of freedom and therefore live out their freedom, respecting his authority as well. And that produces a really different result in society. Okay, so regardless of your particular faith or persuasion or, or you know, theological differences on eschatology or whatever, d- despite all of those differences, if the culture believes there is a God, believes what the Declaration says, that we're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, if the culture believes that and reflects that, then the whole society looks different. You have less crime. You have more freedom. You actually have the opposite of what people think. They think if you bring God into the equation, well, now somebody's going to tell me what to do and I'm not going to have as much freedom. They think that a complete license for licentiousness is liberty, and it's not. It's actually bondage. They don't realize... They're actually leading themselves into tyranny because the worse you get in the culture, which we're seeing it happen all over America right now, the bigger government has to get in order to just keep us from killing each other. And so then the tyranny gets harder and harder. That's the story throughout history. But when we're self-governed because we submit to the authority of God, we live very different. When we actually study the Bible and say, oh, the Bible says I'm supposed to treat my neighbor the way I want to be treated. Well, that's a pretty good thing to have in the culture, wouldn't you think? I mean, don't you want to live in a in a city where everybody's trying to treat everybody else the way they want to be treated, instead of law of the tiger and shark, just get as much as you can, as fast as you can, right? We, we want the biblical foundations in the culture because we know it's better for everyone in society. And so we used to do exactly what they're talking about here in America, and we taught that generation after generation after generation. You go back to the, 
blueback spellers of, of Noah Webster, the great educator of the first few generations of Americans. He literally taught people how to spell using Bible verses. And, and all throughout education, it, the Bible was infused because the Bible is the instruction manual for life. It has all of the answers, and it's the best book for teaching people how to be good citizens, good parents, good, uh, you know, good at, 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 at work ethic, good at, at treating people uh, well, all of those things. We knew that, we taught that, but then we did exactly what they did. We stopped passing it to the next generation. About 80 years ago, we had a massive shift in America in our education system. And there was a concentrated effort to start removing God from the equation. It became successful at the highest levels of the Supreme Court in 1962 in a case called Engel v. Vitell when we said no more voluntary prayer in our schools. The next year at Abington v. Shemp, Murray v. Collette, we said no more Bibles in our schools. In 1980, we said in Stone v. Graham, no Ten Commandments in our schools. And then we went on to say you can't pray at a football game. You can't have under God in the pledge. And just on and on and on, pushing God out, pushing God out, and leaving our education system to basically say there is no God, there is no right and wrong, Everybody do whatever feels good. Everybody do whatever's right in your own eyes. And so now we've had that for really about 60 years. I mean, since 62, it's been a fast ride towards that direction. Now, before I finish, go, go, go back to the verse, let me tell you some good news. Then I'm, I'm, I promise I'm going to end with good news. I, 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 sometimes everybody gets a little bit nervous, like, man, this is a, I didn't come to get depressed tonight at, at church. And, you know, some of my friends, they're like that. They're like, oh, America's done. You know, grab your guns and canned food. Go hide out at the ranch. You know. I suggest having guns, canned food, and a ranch, okay? I'm okay with that. But let me tell you something, friends. What we're facing right now is nothing compared to other times in history. Try putting yourself in King Alfred's shoes facing the Vikings with absolutely no chance of victory, yet God comes through and delivers. I mean, that's 1,000 years ago, 1,300 years ago. I'm telling you, God can do whatever he decides he wants to do with America And I don't know about you, I'm praying for mercy, not judgment, and I'm praying that he gives us another chance to be the beacon, to be the city on a hill, and, and export goodness around the planet. So, I don't know what's going to happen. All I can do is look at his word and try to follow his word as best I can, fight for freedom as best I can on my watch, do my duty, and leave the results up to God. And that's what I'm going to challenge you to do. So, we're going to learn from uh, these, uh, th this generation of the children of Israel. We're gonna make sure that the next generation knows and that we teach it generation after generation, that we tell the providential view of history, that we teach our children how America was founded and what kind of a talent they have been given, this blessing that they've been given. If we would teach every kid in America, instead of teaching them to hate their country, to hate each other and to hate themselves, maybe we ought to be teaching them to understand that God has gifted you with a nation where you get to control your government rather than your government getting to control you. Most people who ever lived on the planet did not get to choose their leaders, did not get to influence who was gonna lead in their community, did not get to run for office or have a church go out and have, most people who ever lived on the planet lived in tyranny. And yet here we are in this incredibly free nation and the parable of the talents applies to us. So just like in the parable of the talents where the master gave the three servants talents and said, I'm going off. When I come back, I want you to have multiplied those and worked them. And, and, the, and of course, we know two of them did that. They put in the work ethic. They took the chances. They took the risk. They were willing to be dangerous. They were willing to get out there and work hard. And they multiplied. And, and he said, great, good and faithful. That's wonderful. I'll give you even more now. You're going to lead these cities and you're going to do all these things. But then there was this one servant that was afraid. And out of fear and, I've heard one preacher say it was laziness, they knew, he said, I knew what, you, what kind of master you were. He knew he was going to get more work. 
So he didn't want more work. So he was fearful and he was lazy and he buried the talent and did nothing with it. And what did the master say? Wicked and slothful servant. Everyone in this room, you have been given the talent of freedom. You have been given the gift of being in control of your government instead of the other way around. And if we bury that talent, we will answer to the master for what we did on our watch. As we stand guard at the Watchtower of Freedom, what are we allowing to happen in our nation? Are we doing everything we can with these tools that he gave us to make sure that we're protecting freedom of religion, that we're protecting our ability to speak, to assemble like we're doing right now tonight, to raise our children as we see fit, for parents to be the ones to make those decisions? All of those things come back to what are we doing with this wonderful talent we've been given of freedom? Are we being faithful with it? And it's not just for us in our own personal lives or maybe even just in our church family. Everyone outside these walls in San Diego benefits when the church is salt and light. Everyone out there ends up with more freedom, more prosperity, all those things that we've been talking about if the church is doing its job because it, it blesses the entire community. Noah Webster put it this way. He's the one I was talking about earlier, the great educator. He said, all the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. In other words, the city is doing bad whenever we neglect or despise the Bible. If we're teaching the precepts of the Bible, the city's doing better. And, and I used to blame this on the left. I'd say, oh, it's their fault. It's those people that hate God and hate the Bible. And then God said to me one day, um, who can neglect the precepts contained in the Bible? You have to know them, right? So only we can, we're the ones neglecting. Only 9%, 9% of Christians are in God's word every day. That means 91% are not getting truth that day to take it out there to be soft and light. If we don't know the truth, how are we gonna recognize the lie? How are we gonna respond with truth to a culture that's hungry? John Adams, of course, most people recognize him as the guy that did the declaration. Jefferson wrote it, but Adams is the guy behind the scenes that twisted all the arms and actually pushed it and made it finally happen. He said, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? He also said that our constitution, later he would say, is only for a religious and moral people. In other words, you can't have freedom last if there's no morality in the culture. The crazier we get, I mean, we can't even, don't even know what a woman is. We're gonna reject basic biology and basic science that's been very clear for all of human history. That's how crazy it's getting now. And, and, and when we allow that to happen, and, and now it becomes, you know, it's okay to loot, it's okay to cry. I mean, all this stuff we're not gonna prosecute unless you're the right color of skin or the wrong color of skin or you come from the right church or the wrong church or you're, you're you know, Republican or Democrat or whatever. Now we're prosecuting, all that stuff is happening because we neglected biblical justice which is blind, equal justice, treating everybody the same, neither Jew nor Greek, honest weights and measures, all of that stuff comes from the Bible. And so that's why they were telling us, hey man, if we could have a culture that, that reflected that, then everybody in the culture would benefit. Even Andrew Jackson said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. By the way, republic, not a democracy. Just, I'll probably say that 20 times tonight. Um, back to John Adams, he said, the general principles upon which the founders achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. In other words, the nation's founded upon these principles, these precepts that Noah Webster was talking about. Okay, I got a long quote for you here from Benjamin Rush. Rush, by the way, medical doctor, trained about 2,000 docs, um, dealt with pandemics like yellow fever in, in uh, Philadelphia. Um, no uh, stay-at-home orders and, and uh, shutdowns and healthy people quarantined. They didn't do that because they actually uh, rubbed their brain cells together and did smart things. Uh, but anyway, uh, Benjamin Rush signed the Declaration of Independence, started schools, 
um, started the public school education system under the Constitution. I mean, this guy was all over the place in the founding era. In fact, John Adams and others said that he was actually one of the uh, three most important founding fathers, and we just don't know who he is today because he was so religious. He said, Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. In proportion as mankind adopts its principles and obeys its precepts, they will be wise and happy. The gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation of life. Happy they are who are enabled to obey them in all circumstances. By renouncing the Bible, philosophers swing from their moorings upon all moral subjects. So just think about that in big fancy words for basically saying, when you renounce the Bible, you won't know what a woman is. When you renounce the Bible, you won't know what right or wrong is. When you renounce the Bible, anything goes and everything's okay and it's all up to you and the only thing that's wrong is to get caught and you know, do whatever's right in your own eyes. He's basically saying the whole culture is gonna be unmoored. Now that boat's gonna be just flopping in the wind and, 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 and thrown about by the waves. It is the only correct map, I love this, it is the only correct map of the human heart that has ever been published. What he's saying is God made you, he's the creator, the manufacturer, he knows how your brain works. He knows how your emotions work, how your body works, how your relationships work. And so in the Bible, we get a map of the human heart. So you'll learn more in the Bible about how to renew your mind. You'll learn more in the Bible about how to think wisely and, 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 and how, to, how, to, how to treat your neighbor in a way that you have good relationships and how to honor your parents and how to honor your spouse and all those things. He's basically saying that it's got the map of the human heart. Why in the world would we not follow it? He also said when it comes to education, the only means of establishing and perpetuating our Republican forms of government. So, you know, I started with we're, we're uh, passing, trying to pass the torch effectively. We're trying to make sure freedom lasts past us, that our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, they, they get to enjoy freedom as well. He said the only way that happens where you perpetuate it and you pass it on is the universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by down there, it says, uh, I think, teaching the Bible, reading the Bible from a young age. He said, the Bible should be read in our schools. Now, what does he know? He's just one of the most important founding fathers of the country. Surely, he should listen to, you know, some Supreme Court justice telling that the Bible shouldn't be in schools because it violates the founding of the country that he actually did. You follow me? You go to the people that gave us the country, and they say, put the Bible in schools. In fact, he said, the Bible ought to be the primary textbook in our schools. The people that gave us the country said, you ought to be praying, you ought to be reading the Bible, you ought to be, uh, in fact, they did public prayer pro proclamations. I can show you about 1,500 public, these are public, what I mean by public is it's a government proclamation. So a governor, a president, the Continental Congress, uh, later the, the, the uh, Congress under the Constitution issued public prayer proclamations calling on their state or the nation to prayer, fasting, humiliation. John Hancock even talked in Massachusetts when he was governor in his prayer proclamation, basically said, if you know anybody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, be sure and tell them. He's basically saying, spread the gospel while you're at it in a public prayer proclamation. I mean, these guys knew that would benefit everybody in the, in the culture. <clears throat> okay, where was I? Let's see, the Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all our books because it contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge, which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. So it's not just, you know, you, you'll hear a lot of these Left-wing politicians to say today, they'll say, oh, we're all for your freedom of religion as long as you keep it at home. You, know, you, you can have your convictions and your faith or whatever, but when you come to work, you're gonna perform an abortion. You're going to, you know, to pharmacists, they'll say, you will issue the morning after pill. Uh, you will do things that violate your conscience. That's their viewpoint. They think that religion and faith is only a private matter, only for you in your home, or maybe, maybe they'll let you continue to come to church together 
and worship. But don't you dare get out there in the public square where the founders are saying, actually, that's the most, you need to be out there in the public square. That's where you're actually spreading the gospel and teaching the gospel to the culture. The great enemy of the salvation of man never invented a more effective means of removing Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools. How about that? Where was that 50 years ago, right? When we took the Bible out of schools. The Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. So in other words, Benjamin Rush is basically saying the Bible's the answer book, and you've got to teach it from a young age. And when you do that, everybody's going to benefit, and future generations will benefit because we prepared the current generation to understand God's providence and live their freedom out knowing that God was actually in charge. Hancock's the one I was talking about earlier. He said, sensible of the importance of Christian piety and virtue to the order and happiness of a state, I cannot but earnestly commend to you every measure for their support and encouragement. There's that public prayer proclamation that he gave, fasting, humiliation. Pray that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be established in peace and righteousness among all the nations of the earth. Pray that all nations may bow to the scepter of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that the whole earth may be filled with his glory. It's John Hancock. This guy is... Sounds like a dominionist or Christian, what do they call it, Christian uh, nationalist. Yeah, Christian nationalist. They always come up with these really scary sounding words, you know, so that Christians will be coward into not actually speaking out. They, they want you to think that if you actually proclaim the gospel, if you actually talk about the goodness of the word of God and how it's the best way to treat your neighbor, that you are now a theocrat, that you're trying to make everyone in America be a Christian or else they can't be in America. I'm pretty involved in, in the movement to restore the Constitution. I don't know a single person anywhere in this whole thing that actually wants a theocracy. None of us do. But I think the left actually thinks that that's what we want, or they use that as a tool to scare you into thinking, oh, I don't want to be associated with those Christian nationalists. I don't want to be associated with a dominionist. So they make up these words that are enough to scare you, and they actually mean something totally different than what we're all saying but you can tell right here, the guy that was president of the Continental Congress when the Declaration of Independence was adopted, he clearly wanted us to acknowledge God in everything that we did. Pray and confess our sins before God and implore his forgiveness through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. James Wilson signed both the deck and the Constitution, and he was an original Supreme Court justice. He said human law, so that's what our city councils pass, that's what our Congress passes, that's what our state legislature, all of the laws that we have, criminal, civil, you name it, must rest their authority ultimately upon the authority of that law which is divine, the Bible. So what they're doing in the public square has to have a higher law that it's based upon. That's why the Ten Commandments was the foundation of everything in our law. The idea that we would think that it's a bad idea to teach kids, thou shalt not murder. I mean, what would be, what is the, what is the alternative? It's okay to murder? Like, why is it wrong to actually say if you're going to be a good citizen, you don't steal, you don't, you don't murder, you don't lie and deceive. I mean, those, those sound like pretty good you know, values regardless of what your particular perspective is. And that's essentially what James Wilson is saying here. He said, far from being rivals or enemies, religion and law are twin sisters, friends, mutual assistants. These two sciences run into each other, meaning they work together. Religion and law are working together to give us a good culture and a good society. This fellow, Don Lutz, did a, a study on the founders, and he, and, he, and he basically broke down all of, all of oh, not all of them, but about 15,000 of their quotes. He studied all of these 15,000 quotes and said, where did they get these ideas? How did the founding fathers of America create this incredible nation? What were they thinking? Who were they quoting? And so he broke it down. The three most quoted gentlemen were um, Montesquieu, his book, Spirit of the Laws, was, was widely read by the founders. 8.3% of the time they were quoting him. 
Blackstone's commentaries, 7.9%. And then, of course, John Locke, 2.9%. And some people think Locke was a deist by the way we think of that word today. John Locke's two treatises on government, I've got a copy from 1764. It's about 400 pages. It is what the declaration was based upon. Richard Henry Lee is the man that made the motion for independence. He's the one that committed treason on June 7th, 1776. He said that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. That was treason. John Adams seconded the motion. They debated for a while. Jefferson wrote the declaration, brought it back. They took out all of his anti-slavery language. He had a lot in there that should have stayed. Anyway, they finally got it done. And Richard Henry Lee said, well, Jefferson just copied the Declaration of Independence directly from John Locke. Well, so you say, okay, well, yeah, so he was a deist, so that means the Declaration. You go look at those 400 pages in, in, in his two treatises of government, and it was, uh, there's about 1,500 Bible verses. So do the math. That's about four to a page where Locke is saying, if you want a good culture, good society, here's what the Word of God says, will produce that kind of society. That's who Jefferson was quoting when he did the Declaration. But even if he was a deist, and even if these guys never quoted anything like that, they were quoted a lot, but guess who was quoted one-third of the time? The Bible. 34% of the founding fathers' quotes came directly from the instruction manual. So I, I give you that because I want you to recognize this is not a godless constitution, as some people like to claim. There's clause after clause, phrase after phrase, directly going back to Scripture. And the founders would say, hey, here's where we got the idea of separation of powers. You know, Jeremiah talks about the heart is evil. No man can know it. We, you know, we, we might, you know, you might be a great guy. You know, we could make Sam king, and he'd be a great guy, but then he'd order everybody to wear skinny jeans. It'd be awful. Life would, would get terrible. And then the evil would come out of his heart that he didn't even know was there because absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? You've heard that. So that's why they wanted separation of powers. They said, we know from the Bible that the heart is evil and no man can know it. So guess what? We're going to spread this thing out. Sam gets some power. Dr. Mount gets some power. We're going to have a court over here that's going to keep a check and balance over here and then Congress and then we'll have an executive. And then not only are we going to spread it out this way, we're going to spread it out this way. We're going to have you know, federal government, state government, local government, all of that so that we get it into as many hands as we can and nobody gets to be king, not even for a day. Now we got people in America that think they're king for a day or a year or a term, right? And they're issuing edicts, governors that acted like total tyrants throughout uh, the whole COVID stand thing. You might have had one of those here in <clears throat> California. I had one in Texas for nine months. Texas was shut down and run by a king who said that he had the power to control the ingress and egress of every living human being in Texas. That is a power trip if I've ever heard of one. This country was not founded to be like that. We never wanted one person to be able to make laws and to order the nation around or order the, the state around. So all these separation of powers comes directly out of the Bible. Even our, our tax exemption for churches, uh, republicanism, the whole idea of choose out from among you leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. That's local, county, state, federal government. That's right there in Exodus 18. How you choose your leaders. You want uh, able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, just like it says right there. This year as you're thinking about who to vote for, for president, uh, for U.S. Senate, for, for Congress, for your local offices, always look at those candidates and say, are, for, are they able? Are they capable of doing the job? Are, do they fear God? Do they believe in God? They don't have to have your exact faith, but do they believe in God? Do they fear God? Because that causes them to act in a different way. Or do they hate bribes? Do they hate covetousness? Are they willing to turn down a $5 million bribe from Burisma and, and whoever else might have uh, bribed the current occupant of the White House? Are they willing to say no to that because they're going to put the country first or the state first or the, or the, or the school uh, district or whatever it might be? So the, the biblical command on how to choose leaders is very, very instructive. The founders certainly understood that as, 
as well. Okay, back to the importance of having the Bible in the culture. This guy was one of our framers of the Constitution. He also started the Maryland Bible Society, so clearly a um, Christian dominionist uh, um, nationalist. Thank you for three of you getting that. That was an underwhelming response, but I'll, uh, I'll take it. All right. Uh, he said, Bibles are strong protections. Where they abound, men cannot pursue wicked courses and at the same time enjoy quiet conscience. In other words, if the Bible is permeating the culture, it's much harder for you to go commit crime or do things and your conscience not eat at you because that truth coming from the Bible in every direction, from government, from, from the schools, from the church, from the parents, from all the people in it, because the truth is coming at you from everywhere, you get convicted of the evil that you're doing. But if it doesn't exist, if it's not a great influence in our entertainment and our journalism and everything else, then they're not getting that conviction. That's why we get these seared consciences all over America, and that's why people, you see this crime that's going through the roof right now, and they have no sorrow, no regret, no, I mean, it's just, uh, it's literally no quiet, um, it's no quiet, it's a quiet conscience. They, they have no conscience at that point. He said public utility, not just personally, public utility pleads most for, forcibly for the general distribution of the Holy Scriptures. Without the Bible, in vain do we increase penal laws and draw entrenchments around our institutions. In other words, you can pass all the laws you want in Sacramento, in Austin, in Washington, D.C., telling people not to commit a crime. It's not going to do any good. You have to go for the heart. You have to influence the culture with the Word of God. Even Washington said, to the distinguished character of a patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a Christian. So here's where we are. Romans 1, we're living it out right now in real time. We knew God, and we stopped glorifying him as God. So as a nation, we knew him. We taught it. We, we, it, was, it permeated the culture. One historian described the founding era as uh, they were breathing the atmosphere of Christianity. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That should have an asterisk, especially Anthony Fauci. That's what that should have said right there. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. That's adding to the word of God. So I did not an asterisk. It would be like just a comment for me. That's all it would be. Okay. Uh, I don't know where that came from. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So just think about those decisions I mentioned earlier. We don't want to retain God in our knowledge. We don't want to teach God in our education system. So we remove God from the equation. And then, of course, you read Romans 1, you get all of the destruction of the culture and the society. It's not just, you know, sex and homosexual sex and all the other things that are in there. It's, it's hardened hearts. It's, it's backbiters. It's all of the sin that you can think of that would destroy a culture. That's what happened in Romans 1, and that's what's happening in our country. Here's the problem. We've got to get back to understanding that God, if, in fact, here's the way to ask the question. What part of your life is Jesus not Lord over? Should be none, right? Every area of our life. But yet we've bought into this secular spiritual split. That, that if I'm a believer, the Bible, and, and what I hear the pastor preaching on, should influence and, and, and kind of help me in my personal life, in my finances, in my business, in my marriage, but not politics. What is politics? Politics, according to Charles Finney, is just part of a religion in a country such as this. He said you must do your duty to your country as a part of your duty to God, that God would bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. Politics is just part of life. It's literally how you treat your neighbor. That's what politics is. How are we choosing as a city to treat our neighbors and what will our laws be? There is no secular spiritual split. God's word applies to everything in life. I, I know some of you may be thinking this or you've had someone else say this to you. Well, you're just supposed to preach the gospel. Don't get, in, don't get involved in all that political stuff. You're just supposed to preach the gospel. 
So my question is, what is the gospel? See, we bought a lie in America in this new progressive church age that the gospel is just getting people to walk the aisle, fill out the card, give their life to Christ, and we do that for 52 sermons a year. And that that's somehow gonna make disciples because what's the actual gospel? What did Jesus say the gospel was? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, right? That's the gospel. Which means it applies to how I treat my wife, my children, my parents, my neighbor, my elected officials, all of those things. It absolutely applies. Well, this fellow right here, John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg, he had that exact same discussion 250 years ago. In 1776, he was a member of the Virginia legislature and a pastor. He was violating separation of church and state, I guess. Not really. I mean, we had lots of pastors that were involved. Lots of pastors that actually led their men into battle. Lots of pastors that were... The guys that signed the Declaration of Independence, 29 of the 56 held seminary degrees. You know, we're told they were atheists. That's pretty good for a bunch of atheists to go to seminary. I don't, I don't know where they got that idea. But anyway, this guy's a pastor and a member of the legislature. And right there, and I think it was January 76, is when uh, the British got, came into Virginia. Uh, they took all the munitions and gunpowder and all this. So Patrick Henry rounds up 5,000 farmers. They're going after it, trying to get it all back. And so he rides home uh, in Woodstock, Virginia. He pastored two churches there to tell everybody about it. And he literally rides all night, gets there in time to preach. So he doesn't get to talk to anybody before the sermon. He gets up, gives his sermon. Back then, you know, the cleric, everybody wore clerical robes. He's in his robe. He gives his sermon. He's preaching out of Ecclesiastes. He's talking about a season for this, season for that. And he gets to that verse that says, there's a time of peace and a time of war. And he looks at the congregation. He says, it's no longer a time of peace. This is a time of war. He takes off his clerical robe. He's in the full dress military uniform of an officer in the Revolutionary Army. And he actually goes on to become uh, the, uh, the, a, uh, one of only 13 guys to be a major general in the Revolutionary War. He's in the painting at the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. If you ever go in there and you get a chance to look at all the paintings, a really cool history there, and the surrender of Yorktown, he's actually in the painting. He's the tall guy on the, on the right. But anyway, there in front of his church, he, 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 he throws open his robes. He's in the uniform. He orders the men outside to beat the drums. He calls the men in his church to arms. And 300 men from his two churches joined up and become the 8th Virginia Regiment. He leads them into battle. Oh, yeah, there he is. So that's that, that's that painting in the, in the rotunda that you'll see where, uh, at Yorktown where Cornwallis is surrendering. Actually, Cornwallis refused to come out and surrender his sword, so he had a second-in-command do it. And Washington said, well, I can play that game. He sends out his second-in-command, which was Benjamin Lincoln, who also started a Bible society in America. So these crazy Christians in the founding era actually thought they could do that kind of stuff. And a little bit of sarcasm there. Thank you for that one lady in the back that got that. I appreciate you. Um, okay, but here's what happened to John Peter. Same thing that happens to many of you, or you may be more like Frederick Augustus at the beginning of this story. This is his brother. Frederick Augustus lives up in New York. John Peter's in Virginia. Okay, John Peter does his sermon, joins up, goes off to fight, and he's still exchanging letters with his brother in New York. And his brother says, you're wrong. You should just be preaching the gospel. Same thing. You know, you're not supposed to get involved in all this kind of stuff. I think you were wrong. And so then John Peter writes him back and he says, I'm a clergyman, it's true, but I am a member of society as well as the poorest layman. My liberty is as dear to me as to any man. Shall I sit still? Heaven forbid it. I am convinced it's my duty so to do and duty I owe to God and my country. So he goes on to fight and they keep going back and forth in these letters. They have these great arguments. And Frederick finally just says, you know the real problem? Problems you people in Virginia. You know, you got all these rabble-rousers down there, Jefferson and Patrick Henry. We don't have any of those problems in New York. We're doing just fine up here. If you guys would just settle down and just preach the gospel and behave, maybe like a little bit of what we heard a few years ago, just do Romans 13 and obey whatever the government tells you to do. That's not what Romans 13 says. 
But, you know, that was the most popular sermon in 1930s Germany, just in case you're wondering how the Bible can be misused to get people to be sheep and allow for evil to take over their nation. That's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. And so he was basically given John Peter that whole message. Well, guess what happens? A couple of months later, the British come into New York. They go into Frederick Augustus's hometown. They kick him out of his church, and they burn his church down. And he says, hmm, maybe baby brother was onto something. And so then he joins up, and he gets so involved that right now, if you go look up a picture of the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights was proposed by Congress this week. We're actually celebrating it this week. It was proposed on September 25th. So earlier this week on Monday was the birthday of the proposing, not the passing, but the proposing of the Bill of Rights because it started in Congress and then it has to go to the states and the states have to ratify it. So there's two signatures on the Bill of Rights. When the Congress passed the Bill of Rights and sent it to the states to be ratified, John Adams was vice president, so he was in charge of the Senate, so he's on there. And then the other signature is the Speaker of the House, the very first Speaker of the House under the United States Constitution, Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg. The brother that thought you shouldn't be getting involved, you ought to just be preaching the gospel, was Speaker of the House. In you know, Think about that. He and, by the way, uh, John Peter was also in that Congress. So two brothers that are pastors are the ones that help frame the Bill of Rights, our freedom of religion, our right to keep and bear arms. I mean, all these things are due process. Pastors that put that in place. So I just want you to remember that and think about the fact when somebody says to you, you're just supposed to share the gospel, you say, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm preaching the gospel in every area of life. The gospel is not just one area of our life, it's every area. So here's what it's gonna take to turn this thing around and get America back to a place that it's honoring God. You know, people always say, God bless America. America needs to start blessing God. We, we need to start honoring God if we expect to be blessed. And we, and we know from Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy breaks this down. You can have blessings or you can have curses. It's not complicated. You get to choose. We get to choose as a nation whether we're going to have the blessings or the curses. But we can't sit around. You know, a lot of people think that Jesus just sat around petting lambs all the time. It's not what he did. He was the lamb, but he was also the lion. Amen? And he knew when it was time to fight. In fact, this guy's got a fantastic shirt. Stand up and let me see that lion's not sheep shirt right there. That is perfect, man. Exactly right. I love it. Lions, not sheep. In fact, you know, I was thinking the music was so good and your dream of being a rock star. That, I, mean, I don't know how y'all do this. Every campus for Awaken has outstanding musicians. That's just, I, I mean, it's incredible. I was, I was listening earlier and worshiping and I was like, I was waiting any minute. I thought John Cooper of Skillet was going to come out. I mean, it just felt like that kind of, so I, 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 was, I was thinking, but he's got a great song about, you know, uh, Walk Like Lions and, uh, and that made me think of it. Anyway, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Be a part of the solution by living out your faith. And let me give you some good, good, good news. We know that the results America got that were so incredible were a direct result of the inputs of biblical foundations, and we know that the bad results we're getting right now are the result of not infusing the Bible into the culture, and therefore we know we can start getting good results again if we just go back to the formula. We don't have to try something new. We don't have to come up with some crazy idea. It's simple blocking and tackling. It's simple living out our faith in every single area. If the church does that, everybody will be blessed. So when I ask you to give of your life, fortune, and sacred honor, I'm asking for you to just live out your faith, to spend a little bit of your time investing and studying freedom, studying the Constitution, studying America's history, doing what in Psalm 78, uh, what we're supposed to do, and then and teach that to other people. Speak truth. Once you know truth, speak it. Be bold. Fight for it. 
And then, of course, your, your fortune, donate. Give more money to the church so the church can be the epicenter of the community. You want to shrink government? The church has to expand. We have to be the ones going out and taking care of those in need. And we do a lot better job. <laughs> when you give to the church, your money is twice as effective in helping the poor, helping the hungry, helping the people that are, that are in need than if you give it to government. Government is terrible at those things. It wasn't designed to do those things. It can't reach the heart. You can only write a blank check, and it doesn't work. And so your lives, your fortune, and then your sacred honor, speaking truth every chance you get. Again, like I said earlier, not caring if, it, you know, and when I say I don't care if I offend you, it doesn't mean you don't have to go out there and be a jerk like I am. I mean, you can be nice about it. Not, no, 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 don't be nice. You can be kind about it. The Bible does not say to be nice. Everybody's, you know, this whole pet and lambs thing. Everybody thinks you're supposed to be nice if you're a Christian. No, you're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be truthful, and you're not supposed to live by lies. It is not loving to lie to your neighbor and tell them, oh, don't worry, that won't bother you. You just be you. That's hateful. That is hate whenever you know that what somebody's doing, if somebody you care about is making horrible decisions that you know is going to destroy their life, and you're so afraid to, of offending them, you're loving yourself. You're not loving them. You're worried about yourself. You love them. You speak truth. All right. Man, this is, these folks like to clap around here. Yeah, all right, uh, let me wrap this thing up. Okay, so I, I do wanna play a quick video for you in just a second, because I want you to see the hope, all right? Here's the thing, America's waking up. There is an awakening in the church right now. Your church name is perfect, by the way. I mean, I'm telling you, just the fact that you're here on Wednesday night like this gives me hope, I promise you. But I'm telling you, I go all over the country almost every night of the week speaking to groups all over the nation, small towns, big towns, blue states, red states, and it, I'm, people are coming out of the woodwork, and they're saying, I was wrong to sit on the sidelines no more. I'm getting on the field. I'm getting in the fight. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And there is just a, you can feel it right now. Now, that doesn't mean it's all going to change overnight. I don't want to give you false hope that we can win one election. You get a, you know, any particular person elected president that solves everything. No, this is a generational fight. It's exactly what Psalm 78 was saying. So you got to get in this fight and say, I'm going to do this until I'm six feet under. Until the Lord calls me home, I'm going to do my duty every single day, even when it doesn't feel like I don't feel like it. So that's what we're asking you to do. So lives, start studying, uh, get, become a part of Awaken You, get the, into the classes, do the biblical citizenship class. It'll equip you. It'll tell you what the Bible says about being a citizen, uh, what, what the Constitution says about how to do this right. Founders said everybody ought to study the Constitution because then you'll know your rights and you'll perceive when they've been violated. And then you'll know how to stand up and defend them in a proper constitutional way. So study those things. Get you a Founder's Bible. Uh, take the class. Here's the hope. This is happening all over America right now. We have 26,000 Constitution coaches doing biblical citizenship all over the nation. And we're building a place for freedom in Fredericksburg, Texas. So you guys come see me. You can learn in Independence Hall. You don't have to go to Philadelphia and get shot. You can, uh, you can come to Fredericksburg, Texas, hang out with me for a week. You can study the Constitution. You can do a handgun defense course. You can be a legislator for a couple of days. You'll learn how to be a better citizen. That's what's happening there. If you'll play that video for me, and then I'll uh, close in prayer after it's over. Hey, fellow patriots, I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution coach and founder of Patriot Academy. All of us are in this room because we know the culture's crumbling and we want to pick up the pieces 
and rebuild. Started for me 23 years ago when I was a state rep in Texas, really frustrated with how even conservative legislators had no principles. It was finger to the wind. They weren't voting based on core conservative, constitutional, biblical principles. They were voting on whatever was popular. So out of frustration, I started Patriot Academy to raise up a new generation of leaders. We train 16 to 25 year olds in the state capitol where they get to be a legislator for the week and experience what it's like to make laws. Now we've got graduates from Patriot Academy serving in Congress, state legislatures, and in school boards all across the nation. And we've even expanded it to military veterans with their own special leadership Congress so that we can prepare them to run for office as well. This past summer, we held eight leadership Congresses all over the nation, training young people, military veterans, and citizens of all ages, including our Constitution coaches. We began that Constitution coach program back in 2020 as a way to teach people to host Constitution classes in their homes, churches, libraries. Now there are Constitution classes going all over the country. We've had 5,000 classes and over a million people go through these Constitution classes. In three short years, we now have 26,000 Constitution coaches all across America in every state and almost every community. Our most popular course is Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. We're teaming up with Liberty Pastors, iVoter Guides, Salt and Light Council, Family Research Council, Turning Point, and many other CMP members. We're equipping their members with constitutional literacy to restore the Republic. And here's the best part, becoming a coach is free and the course is free. Our goal is to provide our content for free in order to activate the church so we can see our biblical values represented in all areas of our lives, especially in government. Lastly, we are extremely excited about our 178-acre Patriot Academy campus in Fredericksburg, Texas. We're gonna bring in 18 to 25-year-olds to spend one year with us in a political and civic gap year program, preparing them to be salt and light in the culture. They'll be trained in campaigning, journalism, media, policy, and entrepreneurship. They will be well-rounded citizens armed with the knowledge and skills to literally save the country. Join us at patriotacademy.com. Hey. I, um, I know that you know that the American culture is falling apart right now. And like we said last night, we're not going to curl up in the fetal position and cry and give up. We're going to pick those pieces up and rebuild. God has put us in this moment for such a time as this to do exactly this. And you can't, none of us can change it all. So let me just leave you with this. What's happening right now in the White House or in your state house is not near as important as what's happening in your house. We can control, not control, but we can influence what's happening right there with our family. Are we saturated in God's word? Are we building community with others? Are we tending the garden where God called us? I beg you to do that. California, we Texans are still in this with you, and you're still in this with us. We are together going to do everything we can to save this country. Let's pray. God, we just come before you right now, Lord. We just beg you to have mercy on this nation. We beg you, Lord, to give us discernment. Father, let us make wise decisions with how we're raising our kids, what we're doing with our money and our businesses. Let us make the tough calls right now at this time of culture war to do whatever it takes to sacrifice and give more of our lives, our fortunes, 
and our sacred honor. God, I ask for miraculous changes in America. Father, that children will be turned back to you, that, that, that Lord, those that, that left the home and had been taught your word, Father, that it will not come back void and that you will bring them back to the house of the Lord. Father, I just pray for complete revival all over this nation. All the political stuff is not gonna do any good if our hearts don't change. God, if you don't restore this nation to have it become a nation under God, Lord, and to do that, we have to be individuals under God. So Lord, we just submit ourselves to you. We beg for your forgiveness of our sins. Forgive us of our laziness. Forgive us of our not doing our duty. And now, Lord, let us step out in faith and truly share the gospel and teach the gospel and make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.